Hi, this is Max. We'll reference it later in the show, but I wanted to say at the top that this week I was experimenting with wearing a different mask than usual while recording, uh, and the results make me sound a little muffled. So we've learned our lesson, and we'll have things fixed next week. You're listening to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast. And welcome to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast. My name is Max Terman. I am your moderator. And with me this week is newlywed game co-champion Scott Reed. Yeah. yeah, glad you're here. And fully muffin, fully man, Bill Calvin. <laughs> fully mask. Yeah. And uh, of course, Dan Marcello, not with us today. Boom. He is uh, oh. interviewing to become the proud owner of a Chuck E. Cheese. All right. Bill, will you, will, Bill will you pray for us? Sure. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the beauty of it. I thank you for the good things that are happening around our home. I thank you for the joy of being here with Max and Scott. I pray your Holy Spirit fills us and that we have something worthwhile for all the listeners. Amen. 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 So, Scott, you spent minutes trying to find a three-way. Whole minutes. And how did it go? It didn't. <laughs> All I wanted was a would you rather question that had three possible answers, and I could not find one. I'm sure they exist. Mm-hmm. I, I, they must, but yeah. I couldn't find one. I so, mean, there's like quizzes, you know? There's like personality quizzes. Yeah, yeah, personality. which I guess that, yeah. I don't know what why would you rather like is defined by like two answers. Sure. But whatever. So what we're going to do is we're going to all answer these questions quickly. Oh, I've nice. got four, which I don't think I've seen before, okay. which is becoming a trend. I like it. Which is nice. I so, do miss mix and match. We'll get back to it. We'll bring it back for Christmas. <laughs> no, we'll do Christmas with you rather for Christmas. Um, so I'm just going to ask the question. We'll start with Bill and we'll go counterclockwise. So, Bill, would you rather uh, write I am an idiot 10,000 times without stopping or suck 75 thick milkshakes through a narrow straw without resting? No need to swallow all the shakes. What? <laughs> what? That's what it says. What? Oh man, Where you don't are have you to swallow. Them? Let me suck. That sounds great. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll go milkshakes. Yeah, it's, I think I'll choose milkshakes too. You don't have to swallow them. Oh, so you could spit them out. Or I think you could swallow. You've got the option. Well, sure. I mean, I would definitely I swallow, swallow at least the first, the first milkshake. Yeah. <laughs> I think the, by the 74th, it'll have lost its charm. <laughs> True. It doesn't, it doesn't say it's 10, all the same flavor. Ten thousand times. Can, Hold on. Let me write the word idiot. It threw a thin straw. Is that what it said? It does a narrow straw. Yeah, a yeah. narrow straw. So it's okay. like that that's hard me, work. Yeah. Either way, a, a very specific part of your body is going to be very sore by the time you're done. That's true. Whether it's your hand or your like cheek. But muscles. if you say that takes two and a half seconds to write, oh, I am an idiot. I am an idiot. So that's at least five seconds. That's fifty thousand seconds. Which wow, I'm not going to do that's that, man. A long time. But that's a lot of time. That's a lot of time. I can't do that. I, I mean, either. either way, we're talking at least a full day. But I feel work. like you can watch the Lord of the Rings trilogy back to back while drinking 75 milkshakes. <laughs> but like, you can't do anything while you write "I am an idiot" ten thousand times. You it's just going to slow you down. Uh, well, maybe. Well, it's a bad message too. I can't you even. Don't fill but, your I head mean, with that. let's ask Bill. When you're running a marathon, you're not going for speed. You're going for endurance. Uh-huh. Am I right? I mean, speed is an <laughs> important mean, I factor think that's too. That's inherent to the <laughs> yeah, competition. Yeah. So this is clearly a, this is clearly a, <laughs> an endurance challenge. an endurance challenge. <sighs> but you still yeah. want to finish as fast as you can, right, Bill? Well, for a marathon, <laughs> yeah. But there's other things I do. I just want to. I'm not the fastest guy with lots of stuff. 
Sure. There you go. Like that test in fifth grade. Yeah, right. <laughs> but you were the fastest the test in sixth grade. Oh, yeah. I mean, the next time around, I was really going. I will say, I, I can't even type out, like, people's responses like when i'm doing phone interviews i can't type out what they said while i'm asking the next question like i often i'm like hold on i'm just finishing writing sure, that down. but that's like that's using the same part of your brain to speak and to is it i think so to like process words in we'll and get out. my dad on the show it seems like it should be it's at least very similar he's a brain doctor anyway all right next. we got three more questions before we get to that i saw this brief video about <laughs> stenography Ooh, fascinating yeah I don't know if you know anything about sonography. They are not Court typing. Court reporters. Yeah. They are not typing on a keyboard. I mean, it, are, I guess, strictly they, speaking, it is a keyboard, <laughs> but they are not typing on like a keyboard that you've you ever seen before in your life. It's That's wild. awesome. We have a lady yeah. in our church does that. Yeah. Like, look into it. It's like, yeah. it's crazy. 225 words a minute is what she can do. Yeah. Because like, wow. it's, it's just like mind boggling. It's like when I press this button, it's like S, but if I press it in this way, it's the word is. Oh. So it's just like, it's crazy. So it's like it's, a keyboard for shorthand. Yeah, and it's a keyboard so that you can type 225 mm -hmm. words a minute. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's insane. Anyway, um, Bill, would you rather have your always have your shoes untied or always have your zipper just one third of the way down? <laughs> I know what you're going to say. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't even notice the zipper, That's so I'll right. just go with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll go zipper as well. Me too. Just wear like a little bit of a longer shirt. Before we get off stenography, okay. I want to say I once, uh, I read a book about uh, like secretarial shorthand and just uh -huh. like the language of shorthand and how it's like a dying art. Mm -hmm. And that is so cool. I would love if we could have like a class here. About, I mean, it's not related to the Bible at all, but like <laughs> it'd be so cool. Well, why don't you learn how to do it? All right. And you teach us. All right. Look forward to 2021 to Max's shorthand. The podcast anniversary. Yes. <laughs> um, Bill, would you rather be extremely lucky or extremely smart, but not both? I'll take lucky because I've started thinking about these people that are extremely smart. It, it would, it's a burden. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> the, the most boredom side of it would be a burden. You know, somebody mm. like Elon mm. Musk figured it out. He's he's really challenging himself all the time. But mm. people that just instantly understand everything about everything, I, I think I would be one of those guys just slapping people around like, come on, how stupid can you be? <laughs> I, I just, yeah, I'll just be lucky. I'll also go lucky if for no other reason than like, I just think... So many interesting things are going to happen to you if you're just incredibly lucky. Well, as a Christian, I don't believe in luck. Oh, um, here we go. <laughs> no, actually. So would you rather uh, be incredibly holy? No, I actually would. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> I think I am actually am going to go with extremely smart, but it's more because Classic. the extremely lucky is just so nebulous. Sure. Like, what does that mean? Does that mean I win the lottery every time? So does I that think... mean that I've got like a one in 2,000 chance instead of a one in 100,000 chance? When I, I guess think it's of... just not. Max, I'm giving my answer. Look. Please don't interrupt me. <laughs> It's just like, it's not quantifiable. And so it's like hard to know how, how it would actually impact you. Like, I think you're lucky if you find like a dollar on the sidewalk. You're like, oh, that's pretty cool. But like, oh. I'd say like to be qualified as like extremely lucky, like you could just say you find a dollar on the sidewalk twice as much as normal people. And so it's just like, it's so vague. Sure. When I think about luck, I think about like the butterfly effect. Like how many, like what people do I know who get me into a situation in which I can like thrive? Like how many big events or major things happen to us that are based on networks, that are based on random occurrences? Right. So I'm thinking if all of those go your way, you don't need to be smart. Well, the thing is you don't know that all of them are going to go your way. That's the thing. It's like when you're smart, you're smart. 
Mm-hmm. But when you're lucky, it's like maybe sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. Is it? Is it? What's the wording? It's extremely, it's extremely lucky. Extremely lucky. I wouldn't describe someone as extremely lucky if at least seventy-five percent of fifty-fifties didn't go their way. Okay, that's fair. But I mean, if you're saying that generally, based off of the fifty-fifty odds, that fifty percent of fifty-fifties go a normal person's way, uh-huh. that's only like half again as much as that. Yeah, but what a blessed life! Wow, twenty-five percent's a but lot. Also, over time, what if they're the fifty-fifties that don't matter? Well, that that's would the thing. Be, that just, would be very unlucky. But, the, but that's not lucky. <laughs> that's not extremely lucky. Boom. Well, by Max's definition, that's if just it's 75% of 50 Bill 50s, and I are going to be lying on a beach drinking coconut milk, yep. and you're going to be with Elon Musk really trying rich. to land people on the Mars. <laughs> <laughs> you also loser. very rich. <laughs> okay. Anyway. And burdened with it. Burdened, oh, yeah. burdened with that yourself. gigantic brain. <laughs> Your mind is just running wild. <laughs> All right. The last question is... Uh, Ignorance is bliss. And now you understand the meaning amen. of that If you phrase. take away one thing from this episode... <laughs> <laughs> go... Just be as dumb and lucky as you can. Hit your head on some things. Get some brain damage. Um, Bill, would you rather have the large parcel of land next to your house... You know the one. Um, <laughs> be- become a high school or a sporting arena. Oh, golly. So... I'm thinking of like the United Center. That's the last thing I'd want next to my house. I'll take a high school before that. Mm. Max? Yeah, I'll go high school. You can't. Just traffic. True. Like on, especially on Friday and Saturday nights, but any evening after 7 p.m. Like, how are you going to get home? Yeah, me too. And for high school. And like also like high schools, like occasionally, I guess kids will be at the high school like mm-hmm. after hours, but like not usually. And usually like the kid, the high school will be busy when you're at work. I think it it would shift for me if I got free admission to all of the things that happen at the sports room. Which is honestly the least they can do. They're not going to do that. (laughs) I know, but it's the least that they could do if they did anything at all. So, I think the least that they could do is send you like Memorial Hospital, the new location that has a house sitting pretty much basically in the middle of their parking lot. (laughs) Have you seen this? No. It's wild. And it's a nice house. They have a swimming pool, you know, an in-ground swimming pool. I mean, this is like a $400,000 house, I would say. And yet you look out somebody's hospital window, which is how I noticed this, and that house is pretty much in the middle of a parking lot. What is going on? And, and David knew the story. He says, that guy wouldn't sell. <laughs> Instead of just saying, okay, the hospital just built the whole thing around his house. I'm thinking, and this house is virtually worthless. I mean, how's he ever going to resell this house? Sure. He probably is going to die in it. I mean, if it's a nice house, you got lots of free parking. Actually, it's probably not <laughs> the free. The other funky <laughs> thing about it, one day I was in the hospital and people were swimming in the pool and just laying out in a suntan. You just think... Yeah, that's the, like the privacy everybody wants. Uh, Jeez. <laughs> that's very true. There was a house like that on Wheaton's campus. It's yeah, right next to the new say. science building. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but she sold. Just, or she died. Either way, it's or gone now. Or she was now. killed. <laughs> true. Those are <laughs> just about the three options. Um, <laughs> or she yeah, was abducted by aliens. <laughs> not there anymore. Right. Oh. Or she was raptured and we are all left behind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What other options are there? Uh, did we already do she moved? Tiny atomic bomb that destroyed only her house. Yep, yep. Gas explosion. That destroyed only her house. Some sort of experiment in the science building that, that destroyed, destroyed her house. house. <laughs> Dogs that united to carry her house away. <laughs> it's time for Boundaries with Bill. The part of the show where we learn how to say no and boundaries when to say yes. Bill. 
Oh. I've been uh, reading Dr. Henry Cloud's book, Boundaries. Um, the first chapter ends with a lot of key questions about setting biblical boundaries. Our question this week, how do I answer someone who wants my time, energy, love, or money? How do I answer somebody who's asking me for those things when I'm already at capacity or when I'm approaching you know, a, a healthy boundary, when, when that person would potentially ask me to, to push past that boundary? Mm-hmm. My uh, reaction is to think, I want to help you. Hmm. And then I just tell them the situation. So let's say it's, I, I need time. It's like, I want to give you some time. However, I only have 10 minutes right now, and then this is going to happen. So can we jump into this for 10 minutes, or is it mm. way too complicated? I, I like to lead with the words, I want to help you. Mm. And I do that mm. a lot with benevolence. People will call from outside the church, and they start to spin a real woeful tale. We want to help you. Our church wants to help you. You're going to need to talk to a deacon after one of the services. Mm. So that's my approach to it. Yeah. Huh. That would definitely make me feel better if I came to you and needed something and you started with, I want to help you. Like, it helps me know that you actually are paying attention to what I want and not just trying to, like, get me out of your way, for sure. And it's not the person's fault that I'm busy or Mm. that I'm broke or that I'm unable to do much. It's it's not their fault. Mm. How can I or or anybody who's listening, if, if, if I have problems setting boundaries or maintaining boundaries... Right. If I have if I have a problem with overcommitting or with letting other people dictate, you know, my schedule, dictate what I'm involved in, dictate where my energy and my money goes, how can I start to practice setting boundaries? What's a good place to sort of begin to build my life a little more into the shape of of the way that you know God wants me to? Well, I think you you already answered your question. Building your life in the shape God wants me to. When our focus is I'm living for the will of God. That really has a big impact on setting out boundaries. Hmm. So let me think if I can give you an example from my life. All right, I begin with what I'm on this earth to do, and evangelism is at the top of my list. So we'll take Wednesday. Somebody wants to book me on Wednesday evening, it's already booked. Mm-hmm. I've got my top priority going on, Alpha. And, and so that takes me off the hook for Wednesday night doing things that are secondary of importance. Sure. But when you build your life that way, you keep saying, well, this is what the Lord wants me to do. It will even trickle down to my marriage is important. Mm. So people want to do something, say, on a Friday night, church even, it better be a really big deal, like I have to conduct a funeral Mm -hmm. or a wedding rehearsal. Otherwise, just to be here for some common program that's going on other days of the week, no. Mm. That's my day with Nancy. And even the wedding rehearsal, it can be partly with Nancy, because sometimes you get invited to go out to eat afterwards. Can Nancy come with me? Yes. Fine. You know, mm. we've, we've still gotten to be together. Funerals, she'll go with me. You know, so you, 
you go to the funeral home together. On a Friday night, it's rarely a service. It's usually visitation. And, but it's all because you, you've got your priorities and you just say, okay, mm. this is something I really can't include. And, and that's when you get your life out of control when you're trying to include everything. Sure. You two definitely as staff members are uniquely positioned to run into this of, um, you know, you talked about priorities. Sometimes it can seem impossible to justify, yes, I'm trying to build my life the way that, that God wants me to. I'm trying to live it um, for his glory, to share the gospel with people. How can you ever say no to, hey, do you want to come with us to this soup kitchen? Hey, do you want to come with us to this, you know, church event? Like, mm-hmm. What is it that that helps dictate where those boundaries are drawn? Where that you know where you start to say, okay, this extends to protecting my marriage. This pr- extends to protecting, you know, myself and giving myself space to recharge. Like, how do you start to navigate? You know, saying no to, in some cases, you know, evangelistic opportunities, so that you can do other things better. Like, where does that come from? It comes really from experience. That- <laughs> I'll tell you one thing I've got working for me that I didn't have working for me when I was really young. I don't have as much energy. Hmm. When I was young, there was seemingly a limitless supply. So it wasn't a matter of, man, I'm too tired. Nope, I'm, that wasn't the problem. Now it's, if I do that, that'll be the third night in a row I've been out. I'm, I'm going to be wiped out because hmm. there's something else going on the following day. So it becomes easier and easier to say, no, I just, I just don't have the energy to keep doing all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Scott? Um, I think for me, like, this is fairly straightforward because my weeks are pretty full. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, which as all of our weeks are. Uh, but like Tuesday nights, I've got worship rehearsal. Wednesday nights, I've got young couple small group. Thursday nights, I've got the worship live stream. Saturday nights, I've got the service. So that's already most of my evenings that are at least in part, you know, full. Um, and so I'm I'm pretty hesitant to give any of the other nights to something else. I will, mm. um, but like I'm I'm already like kind of like okay, I have fewer than half of my evenings with Leah mm. um, available as it is. So like if you're asking me to give you Sunday night or Monday night or Friday night, like I'm gonna have to think about it. Yeah. Um, and uh, especially because now Leah helps with the youth group. So she's got youth group on Friday night and Sunday night. That leaves there one. There you go. Um, and so, mm-hmm. so it's just mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, hey, I would love to do that. But like, I just, I, it's like what Bill said. I just, I can't. Um, so some, some weeks I will, but like, I'm, I'm very hesitant to, to freely give away those, those, week, those evenings. Because like, that's, that's the time that Leah and I have. Is, mm-hmm. During the week anyway, you know, is... Is the evenings so? Yeah. Um, so just kind of, you just kind of get pragmatic about it. Um, and this isn't everyone's life, but like especially in like when you're heavily involved in churches, like evenings are often, you know, you're in a small group or you're in a midweek service or you're at mm-hmm. a whatever. Um, that's committee often, meeting, yeah. Yeah. a practice. <laughs> yeah, that's often the case in church life, whether you're on staff or not. Um, yeah. And so like once you have that routine, you can kind of like take like a macro view of your schedule and just be like, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna take something like pretty significant to like really make me make me want to give you one of these evenings. I, th- I think as somebody who isn't a pastor and I've never had a strong desire to be one, 
I do think it's important. Um, it's counterintuitively important for pastors to model that because who is better to model having God focused boundaries, right? Than pastors. If, if I, as a member of the church, see my pastor who never sleeps, uh, never gets time to his family, never mm-hmm. spends time on his marriage, never spends time alone doing the, the things that God built him to love to, to fill himself back up, right? If all I see is my pastor working all the time um, to do those things, in my mind, then that puts the pressure on me of I can never stop, I can never slow down, I can never set boundaries. So, Or it, my take on that would be, I don't want to be that. Mm. If that's what being a Christian is, no thanks. That mm. is sick. Yeah. So I look at pastors that really live at a frenzied state, and I think they're really a bad example of a Christian, mm. and they're a big turnoff to me. Mm-hmm. That If I were not a Christian, that would push me even further away, just mm. seeing that idiot running around all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and I, think, uh, <laughs> I think a biblical basis for boundaries is so important because when boundaries are self-motivated, they they are inherently selfish. When boundaries are are focused on God, mm-hmm. that's what allows us to make them without them being being selfish and, and allows us to make them um, in ways that are healthy and justified. I think that's huge. You look at the life of Jesus, mm-hmm. it's very attractive. He's never in a hurry. Mm-hmm. Ever. Mm-hmm. And yet, he seems to be really enjoying life. That wedding in Cana, I think he was just loving that, mm-hmm. having a great time. And this movie series, or The Chosen, it just comes out how much these people just genuinely liked being around Jesus. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it was simply walking together, eating together, talking together. It, there's no sense of, man, Jesus, he just doesn't have time for me. No, he's got time, and let's just walk on our way to Bethany together. It's pretty neat. Yeah. So if we want to be like Jesus, we've got to really have that firmly in mind that it's not a matter of striving to get it all crammed into the 24 hours each day. So I recommend that movie, The Chosen. I, I think that eight episodes, you just get a little flavor of, this is his pace. Hmm. Well, let's get into Sermon Roundup. Yeehaw. It's not the same. (laughs) 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 Empty chairs at empty tables. Uh, The Bloomingdale Church, oh, I'm sorry, Uh, Sermon Roundup is brought to you by the Bloomingdale Church Learning Center. Once again, the Bloomingdale Church Learning Center provides a place for guided learning in a Christian atmosphere. We are serving our community by providing a learning space for students grades one through eight currently participating in online school. The Learning Center is equipped with dedicated adult supervision, exceptional internet, and enough space to appropriately social distance your kids. Don't be a jerk. Send your kids to the BC Learning Center. The BC Learning Center, Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. To learn more, visit bloomingdalechurch.org slash learning center. I want to apologize to the listeners um, because when we're talking, I don't, I don't notice our masks like get muffling our voices when I hear you guys. Mm-hmm. But when I'm reading my notes out loud I, and like the, the, the sermon roundup like thing, like I, I feel like I'm more muffled. So I'm interested to see, this is the third mm. style of mask I've worn on this show. <laughs> so I'm interested to see, hopefully it sounds better. Um, Scott's wearing the most muffly of all types. Am I? 
Historically, yes. Are you thinking of the, the share a smile share one? Share a smile one, yeah. No, this one's just a black one. Huh. Well, hmm. I'm going to cut all this out anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for Sermon Roundup. Can I get a yeehaw, Mr. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> We're never going to be the same. <laughs> On Sunday, Pastor David talked about forgiveness uh, and uh, sort of a resistance to the desire for retaliation. Um, he compelled us to use words of encouragement to bring healing, especially to those who do us wrong. That coincides really well with our continued reading of Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper, mm. um, which we had a discussion about in staff meeting yesterday. Our latest chapter talks about forgiveness. Um, to steal us a, a question from Scott and give us a chance to really talk about it a little bit, who led our discussion yesterday, John Piper says, uh, quote, that we cannot gladly make others glad in God without being forgiving. Why is that? Well, the reason that he gives is basically uh, like making others glad in God is is an act of service and love to other people. And mm. you're not really in a position to serve and love other people when you're harboring grudges and bitterness against them. Mm. He has this line that he says uh, where he says, forgiveness gives us God. Yeah. What does that mean? That was really interesting. I, he didn't go where I thought he was going to go with that. Yeah. I thought he was going to then say from that, that when we forgive other people, what we're giving them is like access to ourselves again. Mm -hmm. But he never really said that. But basically what he's saying is like God's forgiveness, while it also provides these sort of peripheral benefits of, you know, not going to hell and... Uh, he has a, a list of them. That's the one that comes to mind right now, but different things. The, the real reason we should celebrate God's forgiveness is because it removes the obstacles between us and him on like a personal and relational level. Mm -hmm. And so God's forgiveness opens up the door for us again um, to, to experience him, uh, whereas before our sin kept us separate. And uh, yeah, so he, he wants to make it clear that um, that when we celebrate God's forgiveness, we really need to be celebrating God himself and not mm -hmm. like these sort of peripheral benefits that we've gained of, mm -hmm. of no hell or of no shame or of heaven or whatever. Like, no, it's God that, that really is what we should be celebrating. Mm. One of the things about it is it seems, you know, the sentence forgiving gives us God is, is sort of almost in a past tense of right. Forgiveness gave us God for right. Forgiveness gave us a, a road back to, to God. And in that way, I feel like, our understanding now in 2020 of God is as Christians is based on forgiveness, right? That we don't have any concept of our relationship to him without forgiveness. Right. And if there wasn't an opportunity for forgiveness, we would be his adversaries permanently yeah. um, living our lives in spite of him because there'd be no hope of being right with him. So I think that's, uh, that's another, you know, element of it is, you know, our forgiveness to one another is emblematic of that, but also that God, you know, our understanding of God is based in forgiveness. So how can we express him to others without that, right? How can we gladly show him to others without having to demonstrate it? And if we're, if we're showing God in his forgiveness to others without forgiving them, then we're just being hypocrites and it's not going to work anyway. Sort of a tangent, but it, it, I think it's really interesting. I learned this recently. Um, David in Psalm, it's the Psalm that's written and in the little sort of like introduction, it says like he, this was written after Nathan the prophet confronted him about. Oh, Psalm Beth, 51. 51. Okay. And he says in that Psalm, 
Lord, you do not desire sacrifices or I would bring them. You do not want burnt offerings or I would offer them. A broken and contrite spirit you will not despise. You know, that's sort of pretty famous verse. And I, I was given a new perspective on this chapter, which is that in the Old Testament law, there were no sacrifices that could remove like willful sin. Hmm. Um, the sacrifices, the sin offerings were like for like the sins that like you don't know that you commit. Hmm. And so David had no recourse, no like sacrificial recourse for what he had done. All he had hmm. was the hope that God would accept his like contrition. Wow. Um, and like, that's kind of like what he's saying there, which I had never known that. Wow. Um, and so, it, it, yeah, to your, what you were saying about like, we hmm. only know God through the lens of forgiveness, like to think about, what it was like before Jesus came and like mm -hmm. just, and we're still doing this, but we've been given a promise that it works, like just throwing yourself, you know, mm -hmm. at God's mercy and saying like, I don't deserve anything. There's nothing I can do that mm -hmm. will make this right, but I'm hoping that you'll forgive me anyway. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And that, that mentality is really, I mean, it's, it's accurate. We just now, like I said, we now have a promise that as long as we're throwing ourselves on this, the cross of Christ, then, then God will mm -hmm. accept it. And what a testimony, too, to the nature of God that this king, this highly successful king, um, who has won all of these battles and is incredibly wealthy and can do whatever he wants, as he's demonstrated, legally he can get away with whatever he wants, he still, he knows that God is like his only real option. Like he mm -hmm. knows that there is nothing he can do, but he still falls before God and, and says, I have nothing, but like, this is all I have. Like that is just a testimony to how much he believes that God is his only hope, how much he believes that God is more important than himself and his own life. Hmm. I want to ask one more question. I was thinking about saving it for boundaries for next week. And if, if you want to think about it, we can do it for next week. But in talking about forgiveness and boundaries, while writing my notes, I, I had this question of, are there people in our lives that God tells us to never talk to again? Are there people who have had such an impact on us or who have such a, uh, a level of harm they can bring to uh, our, us that God would tell us never to talk to them again? And, and if I can, I don't want to ever make light of this. Um, but somebody who has gotten clean from drugs, I would, I would personally consider it like unwise for them to, to go back to someone who was their drug dealer and try and share Jesus Christ with them. Like I would be afraid of that. And sometimes that seems like a, a mistake, but like are there people that, that God steers us clear of permanently? us as individuals, like maybe there's somebody else who is meant to, to, to minister to that person, to witness to that person. Well, that's really interesting. You use that example. Cause today when I was praying for my son, part of the prayer was this pretty long standing part of keep Matt and Joel away from each other because mm -hmm. Matt's the dealer. Mm -hmm. And then while praying that today, it hit me, you know, what would be better if Joel would go talk to him about Jesus Christ, do his best to lead him to the Lord and to say, this is why I don't want to take drugs anymore. Hmm. Because if he would do that, it's got 
two possibilities. One is that Matt would respond to the gospel, maybe not in that moment, but eventually. And the other response could be that that is like repellent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that Matt would say, oh my gosh, now I'm going to get preached to. If there's <laughs> one person I'm staying away from, it's Joel. Um, so that's interesting that you brought that up just now because that was what was going on in my prayer time today. Mm. Mm. And that was the only example I could think of where you would say to somebody, or, or you would come to the conclusion, I just cannot be around this person. Mm-hmm. I know there's some, I, I remember having a friend who was writing a letter to a long, long, long time friend of hers, just saying, I don't want to be around you anymore. Mm. Thought, wow. Mm-hmm. I, and I never really got my head all the way wrapped around that, um, but they were that evidently that toxic that they had to do it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to make like a blanket statement about God because yeah. God can do it every once. <laughs> yeah. But I have a hard time imagining that God would tell you to never see someone again. Mm. That just doesn't seem in keeping with his character. Mm-hmm. I can I can see him cautioning you away. I mean, I the, the, the example that came to mind immediately for me was the prophet Elijah and how right. God right. kind of like pushed him away for a time from what was going on in Israel. Uh, and then he brought him back. Mm-hmm. Um I think it'll be different with every person, but I just think, you know, God is a God of reconciliation. He crossed the biggest gap, relational gap that has ever or will ever exist between himself and, and sinful man. And I just think, you know, maybe you'll never see that person again, but I don't know that that's like God saying like, you're never going to see this person again. Like I, I, I just think that maybe he'll caution you away for a time and maybe you never will see that person again, but I don't know. I just don't think God closes doors like that because mm-hmm. He's bigger than our problems and He's bigger than that person's issues. And yeah. and He He might call you. You know, He might be a drug, you know, a, a drug addict who comes clean and becomes a Christian, and then immediately, or maybe twenty years later, God tells you to go talk to your drug dealer, your former drug dealer, about it. Mm. That could happen. Um, and like maybe it's not like the wise decision, but like the wisdom of God is foolishness to men and. Mm. Um, I don't know. I just, that's my, my take on it. Yeah. Let's get into the topic of the week. Instead of a sponsor for topic of the week, I wanted to talk about sort of the newest changes happening mm-hmm. um, in mm-hmm. the church. Our, our county, our district in particular has rolled out COVID restrictions back out um, sort of in preparation for the winter season that has big implications on us as a church. You know, our, our, Staff had a, a meeting about it yesterday. Our restore team is meeting tonight. At this point, are you guys comfortable speaking to what those will look like in the immediate future, or do you want to kick a week? I'd be comfortable saying what the plan is. Go for it. I mean, it, it could change. Um, I hope for all of our sakes that it doesn't change for a little while, uh, unless it changes for the better. Um, but I hope that we can settle into a routine together and find a new sense of normal for more than one individual week. Uh, but the plan right now, um, basically, the deal is um, that in three regions of Illinois, the positivity has reached of COVID cases has reached a, a certain percentage for a certain amount of time, which is prompting Governor Pritzker to uh, roll out tier two restrictions, which, among other things, limit uh, social and cultural gatherings to 10 people indoors and outdoors. Um and he didn't mention worship gatherings, which makes our lives more complicated. Um, but we are 
the staff together, we decided um, that we were going to honor that uh, for the time being. And so for this weekend and for the foreseeable future, unless the restore team comes up with something drastically different or the restrictions change or COVID goes away, whatever, like this is the plan, uh, we'll have um, two online watch parties on Facebook uh, at 5.30 on Saturday and at 8.30 on Sunday. Uh, they'll be premiering live, so there will be a live sort of comment section for you to interact with each other. We'll have a pastor in the comments, too, to talk with you guys. And on Saturday, I believe this will be an ongoing thing, but it's at least happening this week. After the service, we will have a quick uh, live stream time with the pastor moderating, who is Dan, and he will just be there to pray with you or answer any questions you might have or just to, just to interact with you. Mm. Um, so if, if you are limited to, to the online service, if that's what you feel more comfortable with, there will be a bit of more engagement for you. Uh, again, that's 5.30 and 8.30 on Sunday um, on Facebook, and the service itself will be up on the website sometime on Saturday, as it has been for a long time to, for you to watch whenever you please. Then at the 11 o'clock service, we will be having the outside service. We know it's going to be cold. Honestly, it's just the best we can do right now to provide an opportunity for us all to be together. Uh, it's not ideal, but it's something. Uh, and so we'll be outside, bundle up, stay in your cars, <laughs> whatever. It'll only be like 45 minutes or so, and it'll, it'll at least give us an opportunity to gather together in person. Mm. So that's the current current plan. Mm. Can you give just a, a really brief... Um, just encouragement to people who are frustrated by the fact that, you know, we are regressing as a as a district, as a county, um, as a country when it comes to to COVID outbreaks. That's in the news a lot that we're setting new records every day for COVID outbreaks. And, you know, as we continue to meet together, um, can you just give a, an encouragement on on anything? <laughs> Is there any good? <laughs> it doesn't have to be good news, but a good word. Well, mm. in my personal life, I'm just thankful that I'm healthy, mm. that I got to run outside today. And I think that's where 99% of the people are. They mm. are healthy. They do get to do things. And we should be grateful for that. I'm grateful for the church that we're able to stay in touch with each other and see each other at the very least over Zoom and we can pick up phones. And mm. this isn't the worst thing that's ever happened <clears throat> in the history of the world. It's it's getting to be tiresome, but it's this is not the same as being in a Japanese POW camp during World War II. It's not a comparison I was about to make, but you have a point. <laughs> well, some point. people are just carrying on, like, come mm, on, grow okay. up. Sure. It's, it's not the worst thing that's ever happened to somebody. Mm. I think I've got a couple thoughts. Hopefully one of them will be encouraging, <laughs> uh, at least one of them. My first thought is... Obviously, there are people who are dying from COVID, and that's not something to be taken lightly. Mm -hmm. But we've seen in the last couple of weeks several cases of COVID in our congregation, and all of them have recovered. It was mm -hmm. a mild case, and they're all back to normal. Um, so, as mm -hmm. far as the disease goes, while it is something to be, you know, treated seriously, we all, it's also not something we need to dread yeah. and you know stay awake at night fearing that we might catch it because a lot of people are catching it people we know now they know that's not something that we could say back in march people are catching it and and they're getting better um and so don't worry too much about the disease the second thing i had to say is i read from from the governor from governor pritzker this statement which if you read this and this was discouraging to you don't let it be discouraging to you he said something like I or perhaps no one saw this uptick in COVID cases coming that's just sweeping the country. I don't know where he's pulling that from. 
everyone was saying it was going to get worse in the fall. Everyone. This mm-hmm. isn't some unexpected thing. This was what was predicted to happen. Is it good? No. But like, let's not act like, oh, oh my gosh, we had no idea. Like, mm-hmm. no, we knew this was this was what was going to happen. And so we're just proceeding as best we can with what we anticipated. So like, don't don't let him make you believe that this is some like crazy unforeseen occurrence. Like, no, it, it's pretty much what what could be expected. Mm-hmm. And there is hope on the horizon. There's late stage trial vaccines. There's one that mm-hmm. could receive FDA emergency approval by the end of November. That uh, doesn't mean that we'll all get it by you know the end of the year. Far from that, but it is a good sign. It's a, it's a step in the right direction. So there's reason to hope, and we don't need to be as fearful as as maybe um, we've been led to believe. Yeah, and I, I'd say don't let your following of procedures um, lead you to boredom or lead you to idleness. Hmm. Treat these as as the new normal, um, but fill it with passion, fill it with excitement, fill mm. it with um, a, a renewed desire to to see God glorified uh, in the somewhat redefined worlds that we're going to live in for a little bit again. Yeah. Topic of the week this week, let's talk about friendship. Friendship plays no small role in the Bible. Um, it's a pretty common theme. And again, we say it a lot that God is in his nature in community. Um, and so relationships at the very least are, are at the core of our understanding of who he is and our relationship with him, obviously, is at the core of Christianity. I want to take a broad sweep at, at this idea of what does biblical friendship look like? Um, but I want to start with, you know, Jesus had friends. He had the disciples, obviously, his, his close friends. And he said, you know, uh, greater love has not a man than uh, the one who would lay down his life for his friends. Can we talk about what biblical friendship looks like? And, and what a, a model Jesus is for us. Sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what does biblical friendship look like, Bill? Well, there's a proverb that says, power of one's friendship springs from his earnest counsel. And I think of David, my good friend, David Remeshire. Mm. He does have earnest counsel. And that is the beauty of being David's friend, that when he talks to you, he really means for what he's saying to be for your good. Mm. And that is the power, that is the beauty of particularly a righteous friendship. Mm. He's not competing with you or trying to manipulate you, but it's, no, this is for your good. Mm. What role would you say then that biblical friendship plays in our faith. Obviously, one of the most you know famous examples of biblical friendship is between King David and Jonathan. I always want to call him Michael. Um, <laughs> Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> when that is breached on, what is most often sort of the, the implication on our faith that comes out of the relationship between Jonathan and David? Well, I find that to be a very inspiring friendship. Jonathan, you would think it's going to be the heir to the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And he wants David to be the king, even though he knows that means he cannot be the king. And that does not impede their friendship. It actually makes it even stronger. Mm. And Jonathan really looking out for David, even though his own father, Jonathan's own father, Saul, King Saul, is trying to kill David. 
it's it's just an amazing friendship man it's 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 impressive mm. really impressive mm. and especially on Jonathan's end being the giver of that great goodwill no wonder people will name their children Jonathan <laughs> Well, the thought that just came to my mind that I never had before was that if we look at David as a, as a type of Christ, which of course he is, mm-hmm. Jonathan is a very interesting type of John the Baptist, oh. who you know kind of gave yeah his own glory mm-hmm. uh, for the sake of of the true King. Mm-hmm. I never thought about that before. Yeah. So there, there you go. I said something. That's a great great thought. <laughs> that is because when you were talking, I was thinking of us as Jonathan and David as uh, or Jesus as David. We're very incredibly encouraged by our society to to make ourselves king, right? To to be the masters of our own destiny and to let no one tell us uh, what to do or how to live. But sort of resigning that and not resigning it out of bitterness, but saying your way is the best way. You are God, or in in Jonathan's case, you are the one that God has ordained mm-hmm. to be our our king. And having the the humility and also the love that it's not just that he knows that. You know, it's not like they're strangers and he knows that David's going to be the king. It's that he loves him. When we describe Jesus as our friend, A, could you remind me or inform me for the first time, what's the biblical basis of calling, of, of saying, you know, what a friend we have in Jesus? What is our... What's well, John fifteen fifteen, which Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants, but friends. Hmm. That's why we named our church in Omaha, Christ our friend. Hmm. So he does call us friend, and then he lives up to it. Hmm. And you are my friends if you obey me, <clears throat> which you got to really meditate on that for a while to get to the heart of why, what kind of friendship is this, the obedience side of it. Mm-hmm. So, yes, we were surely seeing Jesus as our Savior more and Jesus as Lord. But when you look at Jesus and the disciples, he really did include them as friends. Hmm. And they made deep friendships with one another. And the thing that really grabs my attention with that is Peter has denied Jesus. Jesus is resurrected from the dead now. He's walking the earth for 40 days, but the disciples just seem to be kind of floating along. There's, this is like an undefined 40-day period of time. And Peter might be in the doghouse here, mm-hmm. but Peter says, I'm going fishing. And the disciples' response is, we'll go with you. This is John 21. So they get into the boat and they all go fishing together. I thought, this is really something. Even though these people don't really have a good grasp of where are we now with our lives, mm-hmm. they they really had bonded and they were still just hanging out together. Mm. And yes, we'll go fishing together. Mm. They don't seem to be on mission and Jesus isn't really in their midst. Mm-hmm. So they can't say, well, I'm here because of Jesus. Now it's, well, actually I'm here because of you. Mm. I, I love you. I, I don't know what I'm going to do with the rest of my life, mm. but you know, let's do that together. How does that friendship glorify God? What's a good picture of what friendship love is. And, mm-hmm. and the church is the place for friendship love to, to develop. It's beautiful in that way. And then the rest of that chapter, it gets even more beautiful. They're out there fishing. Jesus is on the shore. He builds a fire. They haven't caught anything all night. And so Jesus says to them, have you caught anything 
And then, the, which I think is just like the funniest line, throw your nets on the other side, like, well, we've been doing that for six hours. Mm -hmm. So they throw them on the other side, and now they get this great haul of fish, and John says to Peter, it is the Lord. Mm. I think he's so excited. It is the Lord. That's not just anybody on that shore. And Peter just jumps out of the boat and starts swimming to shore. I mean, all heaven is breaking loose. These guys are so excited. But they take the time to count their fish. They have 153 fish, and they eat that for breakfast. Not all 153, but that's part of their breakfast. And <laughs> mm -hmm. it's, it's just a beautiful, beautiful story. And it only gets even more beautiful because then Jesus takes a walk with Peter and three times Peter had denied Jesus. And so three times Jesus said, Simon, do you love me more than me? Hmm. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. And he, he does that three times in a row in order to eradicate the three denials. Mm -hmm. To really get through to Simon Peter, your sins are cleansed. Mm -hmm. And I am forgiven purposely remembering this no more mm. and and then recommissions them to go into the ministry man what a beautiful chapter beautiful yeah. chapter of of what it means to have love from jesus christ and to have love for one another yeah what is jesus being our friend what unique dimension does that add that couldn't be added otherwise First thing that came to mind was, it doesn't. Was <laughs> you're dumb? What a horrible <laughs> question. Uh, the first thing that came to mind was um, a relationship. Now, that's not quite right because uh, mm. you know Jesus calls um, God our Father. Mm -hmm. We get a very intimate relationship there. But I think that there's another element um, that we don't get from God our Father with Jesus our friend, which is a sense of, of peership. And like, you know, even in, in, was it 15, John 15, 15 that you said? Mm -hmm. Even though he says, I don't call you servants, I call you friends. And he, and he elevates them mm -hmm. from below to, and, and even with a father, you know, you're, you're kind of below your father. Mm -hmm. But with friends, it, it's not equality in that we're not equal to Christ, but we are co-heirs with Christ. Mm -hmm. We reign with Christ. So there's something there. There's something of this like nature of, mm -hmm. of, of elevating us beyond ourselves and into not the same status as Jesus, who is, you know, God, but but somehow in the same like arena that he was in. Whereas mm. before we were would never have the chance to get to that or or um presume that we could ever get to that. Yeah. It's, yeah. Sort of an an elevation of our status that mm. even even with calling God our Father, I don't think we receive in the same way. Yeah. I think that shows up a little bit in Hosea too, when he says you'll, uh, when he's talking about the end of time, he says, you'll no longer call me master. You'll call me my husband, mm. um, which is a beautiful mm. uh, distinction. It boggles my mind of no longer, you know, of calling God like husband, right? As, as the church and, and Jesus are wed at the end of time, but elevating the, that relationship um, to one that is not symmetrical, but is, foundationally about love. Um, well, listeners, Bill, you have to go, right? Yeah. Yeah. Bill, I mean, yeah. Bill, if you would like to be part of the show, <laughs> you can send questions, would you rather, uh, trivia quizzes, and your husband to podcast at bloomingdalechurch.org. 
For our closing segment this week, it's time for bets. We don't have time for bets. Uh, we didn't have bets last week. Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to read it, and then we won't have a bet. This is what hopeful Max said. We didn't have bets last week, but this week we're back with a vengeance. <laughs> and Dan is missing. Uh, Dan is not only missing. Um, I also thought he was preaching this weekend, uh, uh, which he's not. No, he's not. Um, which meant that now was the perfect time to have a Dan-centric bet. Uh, but seeing as he's not preaching... It's always the perfect time to have a Dan-centric bet. And we don't have time for a, a, a Dan-centric bet. Mm. Uh, we will once again go home hungry. You have anything you want to say about Dan? Love him! <laughs> <laughs> that is all the time that we have this week. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Max. Thank you, Max. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, take us home. You've been listening to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast, a very strange episode of the Bloomingdale Church Podcast. The world has changed. Brought to you from Bloomingdale, Illinois, the heart of Tier 2 restrictions. Bill, do you, do you, are you comfortable? Do you want me to, we, we could stop. I'm fine. All right. If you, I'm ready to die. I'm not ready for you to die. I'm not, I know you're ready to die. I'm ready for you to die. But if you die, what will I do? <laughs> Bill, if you die, what will the garbage truck drivers do? <laughs> Who will they be looking for? They'll lose all purpose. <laughs> they can circle around the crematorium. <laughs> As a show of respect. Right. 21 truck salute. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Bye, 21, 21 dump. Or ne- 21 <laughs> dump salute. <laughs> um, <laughs> laugh out loud, Bill, otherwise I sound like a weirdo. <laughs> Did you add that a ringtone fun. to last week's episode of my phone I went off? <laughs> I, so I, I felt like such a maniac, but I was like, they won't know what's happening if I don't put a ringtone <laughs> I heard that in the episode. That's the like, first time it I've took ever. Me a second. That's the first time I've ever lied to the listeners about what was happening. It took me a second, and then I was like, "Wait a minute!" <laughs> My silent. We're never gonna get through this. Um, nice man. What are you gonna do for her birthday? We're going up to Nicole's house. Nicole has these fabulous meals. We we laugh. We just say. When we get around you, Nicole, and Melissa, and Joel, we, we just know we're trailer trash. Because, <laughs> you know, like, Nicole makes sort of, like, gourmet meals, and she's using all of her garden stuff. Okay, well, so does Nancy, like, though. Wow, well, she's not using her garden stuff, because we don't have a garden like Nicole. But it, it's, it's just like their houses are so nicely decorated and artistic, mm. and you just think, yeah. <laughs> These are my progeny. <laughs> <laughs> They're improving. But, <laughs> yeah, I just feel like a caveman in comparison. <laughs> David, Bill, I, I wanted to ask you, like, what, on a more pragmatic level, like, what have you learned over the years of working with your best friend? Yeah, better is a friend nearby than a brother far away. So... Hmm. David is that friend nearby, and I'll just brag about David for a minute. He he really is willing to stick with you through your hardest times of life. Stick with you as somebody who's going to talk, but somebody who's also going to do, make things happen uh, 
for your behalf. So that's something that, of course, I knew before working with David these last 17 years, but mm. it's just been reiterated over and over and over again. It's kind of comical working with David because we do get into it plenty, but that's because we are as close as brothers. Mm. And so we're not threatened by getting into it in order to come up with the greater good. Mm. Um, I think that's one thing that's really helped our church is that there's two people who see things differently and fight it out with each other and come up with, okay, but what is the best thing to do? Mm. And, and so both sides of the issue have really been thoroughly looked at. I've noticed that that's what makes for successful sporting teams. Mm -hmm. Years ago, Oklahoma had Bob Stoops as their coach of the football team, and his brother, whose name I don't remember, was the defensive coordinator. And they were together a long time, like 18 years. And, and Oklahoma was good for 18 years. But I've, I've noticed that on sports teams. Uh, Trinity International had a really great uh, women's soccer team for about 15 to 20 years. And Coach Gilliam's best friend, Kelvin Tomei, was the assistant coach. And they worked together for 15, 20 years. Now Kelvin's recently moved to Florida. But it, it's that being able to have somebody really close to you who is uh, watching your back, but is also in your face. Mm. That, that's, that's where you really got something great going on.